Welcome in to another episode of the Esports Network podcast presented by Esports Network. I'm Mitch Rames. Today's podcast is an interview with the director of UCI Esports, Mark Deppi. His official title is director of UCI Esports. His unofficial title is chief gaming officer. Mark, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. So I'm really excited to talk to you because UCI is really one of the legacy collegiate esports programs. You were an innovator over there doing esports at the collegiate level before really very many official programs existed at all. You opened up an arena in 2016, which was the first of its kind uh, in North America, at least. So UCI has really just been a pioneer for collegiate esports, and you've been around for almost all of that, right? Yeah, I helped uh, come up with the crazy idea back in the summer of 2015, working with student staff and faculty. We built a broad program around our five pillars and, uh, yeah, tried to think, does does esports fit on a research campus like UCI? And after uh, doing our due diligence and looking for resources and learning about the ecosystem, we, we chose to build a program, create an arena, recruit some players, and off we went. That's amazing. So when did you first come up with the idea of esports on when when was your first introduction to esports and how did it when did you decide, hey, this is something that UCI could really benefit from? Sure. So uh, I was I've been on campus at UCI since twenty ten and uh, working in student government with uh, the elected undergraduate student body representatives. Uh, I did events and programs and campus traditions for them um, and I'd done that for five years and was ready to do something new with my career so I was finishing up business school and I uh, did a, a strategy paper on Blizzard Entertainment which is a major video game developer in our city and uh, while I was researching their company I was like wow this esports thing is getting really big and uh, while doing that research I read a Facebook article um, that had just proclaimed UCI, my university, as the number one school for gamers in North America and highlighted our great game design program as well as uh, our humongous student club, which had won three major national League of Legends tournaments um, over the years. And uh, so we were ranked number one. And the number 10 school on the list was Robert Morris University, who had started the first program the year before. So looking at what they had done and seeing the, the resources we had on campus, I thought we had a more compelling case to, to explore esports than anybody. And so, yeah, I came up with, uh, reached out to the student body or the, the gaming students, uh, the club that oversees it, um, talked to the game companies, partners, my leadership in student affairs, and uh, started to, uh, yeah, decide is, is this something we want to try to pursue? And eventually we built a, business plan, finding uh, sponsors and a space for a, a center and a business plan that allowed us to generate some revenue and be cost neutral to the university. And so um, that, that took about six months. And the uh, end of 2015, wow. we got to present to uh, the chancellor, our chief executive and his his cabinet. And they blessed the program. And we, we spent 2016 building it and launched it in the fall. Wow, that's incredible. How are those conversations with administrators? I tried to do some work at my alma mater, University of Oregon, who actually just mm-hmm. competed at the 
collegiate esports championships for Hearthstone. It's very proud of them. But when I was in school, I brought it to different administrators, different faculty members, and kept getting stonewalled, uh, whether it be different various concerns. And this was at a time when the Pac-12 was looking at collegiate esports. Larry Scott had the Pac-12 commissioner had some very strong, he was very bullish about the sport for esports. And that's dwindled since while University of Utah is still leading the way. But what were those conversations, those initial conversations with administrators? Did you find it hard to explain esports and were there some roadblocks in your way or were they on board pretty quickly? Yeah, I get that question a lot. Um, I, I recall my first nervous coffee with my now boss. Um, he was the chief of staff for the vice chancellor of student affairs. So he had the ear of a, of a senior executive um, on campus who I, I viewed as someone who could say yes to the program. Um, one thing someone once told me, this is an aside, a <laughs> piece of advice, someone once told me to never accept a no answer from someone who doesn't have the power to say yes. And so I was not mm-hmm. interested in getting shut down by people who, who didn't have the ability to, to bless a new sports program. So I was very strategic about making sure we were getting to someone who, who had the opportunity to, to make it happen. So I recall my first coffee with his chief of staff, um, Edgar Dormitorio. He's my, my boss these days. And I remember telling him, like, hey, do you know how big esports are? There's a school in, in Chicago offering scholarships. He's like, I know that. He's like, I saw about, I saw something on HBO about them. I'm like, oh, did you know how good our students are? Uh, they've won multiple national championships and League of Legends. He's like, yeah, I heard that too. I was like, do you know the, the gaming club here is the biggest club at UCI? He's like, yeah, I'm aware of that. I'm like, hmm. <laughs> to, me, to me, all those were like dots to be connected. And, and he, he took a, maybe a couple of meetings before he was like totally on board with it. But, um, I will say once we, once we got to other executives, um, at UCI, we definitely have a culture, um, on campus where we feel like we're still a young university where we're, we just turned 50 years old a couple of years ago. Um, and I think we, we view ourselves as still mobile and still able to do new things um, the cement's not dry, so to speak. And so, so I think we definitely have a culture where people are comfortable taking calculated risks, um, and try to innovate and do things that sister universities don't do. And I will say my, one of my observations is that schools that are taking risks on esports are not the traditional powerhouses of college sports because, um, there's an opportunity really for us to innovate and, and be leaders and be a school of first choice in a way that we're, we aren't in athletics. Mm-hmm. So um, I, I think that's one of the reasons you see uh, most of these things popping up at non-traditional uh, sports schools because it's it's good for the traditional sports schools if, if football and basketball are still the dominant college sports long to the future. Same with Oregon. Um, it is it is much better for UCI if, if the opposite is true and, and that esports are an important part of college campus moving forward. So long story short um, – I think uh, UCI has very forward-thinking leadership, and we, we don't have tradition to like rest on uh, for our reputation like a lot of other universities do. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense, and it's been so successful for so many different universities. You mentioned Robert Morris, who has created this program, and now kids are going to it, and they're the leader. I mean, in this new area, which is becoming a huge in demand with these different events, being an immediate leader is, is amazing. You don't have a lot of opportunity as a smaller school to ever get a leg up. 
But do you worry as times come in and as more giant universities start getting on board, like USC and UCLA both have pretty massive gaming clubs as well, but not as much institutional support. Do you ever worry about UCI losing some of the ground they've made to those giants when they do finally start moving on esports? I, I, I definitely fear a legitimate threat from somebody out there. I haven't seen it yet, though. Um, mm. I think USC and UCLA totally have an opportunity if they, if they invest um, much more than they have thus far. Uh, they could definitely be contender for getting that top talent that we're getting right now um, and be in front of mind for Southern California students who are both great gamers and great students. But um, uh, until until there are scholarships and until there are paid coaches and they have some competitive success, um, I think we are gaining ground on them. And, I mean, we have five full-time staff right now that will probably increase next year. And if, if you don't have anybody right now um it's not that they can just catch up next year i think i think we're actually uh, widening the gap between us and everybody else uh, especially on the west coast yeah once that ball starts rolling down and you guys establish yourself as one of the leaders it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy as you get good the good players start coming to you and then at a certain point you just become established as the leader in the space and there's less overhead as well there's less uh the football team and the basketball team, you have five paid staff members and that's a ton for an esports program, but compared to traditional sports, that's not so many. So you can really be a leader with less in esports. Yeah, absolutely. And I think people often don't look at the staff and, and think of that as a competitive advantage. And for any university that's out there that doesn't have a version of me on their campus, that's fully dedicated to growing, building, recruiting finding great talent whether it's coaches or players or staff um i I just don't understand how they they want to compete um when we are fully focused on not just sustaining but growing and building more facilities um, creating more resources doing great research and pushing the envelope like a lot of people look at what we did in 2016 and think that's college esports you have legal or you have a a team you have a coach or two and an arena and that's it and we're now going into career events we now have a great shoutcasting problem uh, program Um, we have the best best twitch broadcast in college esports better than a lot of the semi-pro stuff out there and you're going to see more stuff with human performance and and now we have an exercise physiologist psychologist and massage therapist so it's not that you can just replicate what we did in 2016 and, and, and be equal anymore. You have to see where we're going to be in two years or three years and, and try to kind of build for that. Yeah, speaking of facilities, the first time I was made aware of the UCI program was when I heard about the arena y'all were building mm-hmm. because that was that's more than just, oh, there's this program here. It's No, they're building, they're working on construction, they're going to open up an arena, and that's... That was one of those light bulb moments for me. I was still in college at the time, and it was like, oh, this is what's happening. It's a mm-hmm. big deal out there. What does having that physical home, that physical venue, mean for the program? Well, I'll admit it is more important than I thought it was going to be. Um, we built the arena because I needed to find a way to generate some revenue to justify mm-hmm. a business plan that, that could promise to be cost neutral. And so... Uh, we wanted to open up a land center on campus and didn't know if it was going to be successful, but we thought it could be. 
and it's turned out to be very successful. Um, but really, initially, it was to both be an office space, a place for us to compete, um, but really it was to help balance the budget so that we could justify two full-time staff members, a bunch of scholarships and all this stuff, um, something more sustainable than just sponsorships or something else. So um, that's that's how we how I initially envisioned it, and it's turned out to be a lot more, and really because I think of what it represents to the broader community, uh, they see a space investment, they see a, a beautiful thing they can go touch, feel, uh, play a game in, and, and see that esports are really validated here at UCI. So there was way more media around the arena than I expected there to be. And and so now we kind of think of our arena, or yeah, arena grand opening as kind of the birth date of our program when really we were born much earlier than that. But uh, symbolically, that's what a lot of people look to. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And having that community aspect, like you look at every school and you've got thousands of kids who are playing games, but having a place where they can actually come together, that's what gaming clubs are now, but they're in you know, conference rooms, rooms you can rent out in the student centers. But having, actually having that home base for an esports program feels so important because it lets everybody get together and you get to see just how big the esports community on campus is, especially for administrators as well. They can see people coming in and out, using the facility and be like, oh, this is this is valuable. You can see the value to it when it's a little harder to quantify just people playing games in their dorm rooms and their off-campus apartments. Yeah, I, I will say we do three to five tours a week from schools or administrators or industry execs or alumni that schedule stuff with us to come check it out. That's on top of the hundreds of people who just visit to see what it looks like. Um, but yeah, everyone wants to see the arena. And so it really has become uh, a showpiece for, for our program. We were kind of doing some rough math the other day, and I think we've had like 175,000 people visit the arena in two and a half years. So um, it has been a very important part of our program. And uh, yeah, we, we would not be where we are without it. Definitely. And I know one of those people who was touring was the CEO of Esports Network, um, yep. Mark Thimmick. He was coming with the Esports Pro media training curriculum. And I was curious, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the path to pro and how that looks mm-hmm. like in esports. Obviously, in traditional sports, college plays a varying role in how kids get to. They go from high school and basketball, the best ones play one year. Football, they have to play three years. How do you see that ecosystem playing out in esports? Do you think that kids are going to use college as that stepping stone to the pros like they do in traditional athletics? So my first thought around that topic is I don't like the term path to pro because right now the professional world of esports to me is not a a nice enough destination that we should really focus on it. And Mm. by that I mean the average career is very short. You don't make enough money to live on. And essentially, if if we're only aiming at setting up to go pro, then what the heck do you do after you're done being a pro at 23 years old? So – I, I think we should not be thinking about how do you get to the professional uh, stage. I think we should be talking about how esports, whether you play collegiately or pro or whatever, contribute to an awesome life where you have these rich gaming experiences, but also aren't like set up for failure after after you finish your professional career and have no backup plan, no skill set, no education 
to kind of set yourself up for the rest of life. So, so I, I, hmm. I guess I just li- dislike that term. Um, but in terms of how do you get there, uh, I will say I expect it to be much less linear than traditional sports. Um, I think I, I tell high school kids and recruits, like if you want to play professionally, um, UCI or college esports is probably not the most optimal route to get to the professional scene. Um, the optimal route, if that again, if it's your goal, you should just play the game a lot and find semi-pro teams to play on, play in tournaments, but play the game a ton more than you can play if you also are worried about grades. Now, if you want to get a college degree, if you want to set yourself up for success, um, well, if you want to get a college degree, which is part, I, I think part of setting yourself up for success, um, you can certainly certainly play games while competing for a college team like ourselves or, or another school. But I think my, my biggest point I guess I want to make is that I think with professional esports and all esports, there needs to be an exit point in which you can exit esports gracefully and go on to something else. And so that's why I think Path to Pro is, is a term that is slightly problematic because uh, it's, not, it's not thinking about what's next after esports. And um, whether you go through college or not, to me, is, is less important than how are we going to set you up for success afterwards. Definitely. And it's super interesting because esports has the opportunity to change how that looks. In traditional athletics, the NCAA and is, has these deep trenched relationships with entities like the NFL and the NBA, which basically forces kids to go to school if they want to get drafted. Now, there's obviously some workarounds out there, but you can make the same argument for traditional athletics that those players would be better off spending that year going straight to the pros, playing overseas, just practicing and doing drills and not having to worry about grades in school. And that's where a lot of the tension has come from in traditional athletics. So I think there's a transition that's happening in general, and it's only those deep trenched relationships that exist in the NCAA that is why kids are still going that traditional college to pro route. And in esports, without NCAA involvement, it guess doesn't make that much sense. Yeah, and I yeah, I think I think what I'm primarily concerned about is yeah, how do we set up young people for success? I think that's what a mission of a university partly is is to take young people provide them some skills and tools and knowledge to succeed in the next steps of life. And, and if you want to do esports as part of that, if, if we're creating value for young people through esports, that's great. But at the end of the day, I think we should be doing what's best for them. And I, I would agree with you that, uh, the traditional sports model doesn't feel like the, the student athletes are the primary focus. Um, I think it's, yeah, more about, business for both NFL, NBA, and, and the uh, NCAA groups. But, um, yeah, I don't know how it's going to play out in esports. I don't know what the right answer is. Mm-hmm. But, like I said, I, I think I would love for professional teams to require kids to graduate high school, hopefully, like, with a decent GPA. I would love for professional teams to uh, send their kids to – or their, their players to community college if they would like to, allow them to kind of invest in education, like, while playing the game a little bit. Um, because I, I honestly think if you go straight into the pros and I have no problem with that, there should be something next for you. And I think it's critical for pro teams and game companies to be thinking about that because you cannot have your superstar players and their professional career in their mid twenties after a thriving esports career and have nothing else. So, um, if education is part of it, great. 
if job training's the next thing and they, they can go into some other career, great. But I, I just don't see that happening just yet. Yeah, it's that this opens up a whole new can of worms about esports burnout and the esports ecosystem and how that's going to look like. So I don't think we need to dive all the way into that because that could be another 30 minute conversation as we sure. talk about the reasons for that, the possible solutions if they're going to happen. Um, but uh, focusing on collegiate esports, just last weekend, I can't believe we got to 25 minutes on e- a collegiate esports podcast and not mention. The ESPN Collegiate Esports Championship, which was uh-huh. the biggest, I, I think it's fair to say, the biggest single collegiate esports event we've ever seen. Because it was the first ever time it happened. Would you agree with that? Was that is that a fair characterization? I know there's been other big events in the past. You know, um, I've heard a lot of claims about a lot of events in the past. I, I don't know. I don't know how, what attendance looked like. I don't know what viewership looked like. Um, I'd want to see what those numbers were. For making a statement, I will say it definitely had a significant amount of hype. Uh, all the championships that they held were obviously major titles. Um, the production value was very high. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is, is in the conversation. I would want to see. I, I think you have to have a significant attendance and you have to have the sure. viewership before you're making giant claims, though, which they may have. I just don't know. Uh, was League of Legends in it? Or no, no. no. League okay. Of Legends is next week up at Riot Games. Okay, so yeah, it was basically a Blizzard event because I know they even held Heroes of the Storm, StarCraft, Hearthstone, and Overwatch. So it was those yeah, and it was, Street it was Fighter. Blizzard plus uh, Street Fighter. Right, right. So okay, so yeah, without League of Legends in it, if League of Legends is in it, it's unquestionably the biggest one ever. Correct. But, correct. Yes. Yeah, that but makes I, that I makes sense. League of Legends could just outdo it if it if it has ten or a million viewers and and the other one didn't i just feel like yeah true true yeah that, uh, that, that makes a lot of sense because league of legends is the biggest esport in general and viewership it's the biggest collegiate esport it's the most entrenched in colleges so it'll be really interesting to see next weekend how is uci looking coming up for that championship i think well i know my, my team is very confident um they we obviously won last year um i think we are a much better team this year um i think Many of the top teams are, are, are noticeably better, um, but I think our, our players feel very confident. Um, our scrims and, and match result against, against teams uh, makes us feel good about our chances going into it. Um, I'm personally nervous because we play uh, Columbia College in the mm. quarterfinals. Our first match is a rematch of the championship game last year, so um, we definitely have a tough schedule, a tough road to the finals if we uh, want to get there. Yeah, it's exciting. That'll be it'll be a really fun competition. UCI is the dominant force. You guys are the the Yankees. You're the uh, you're the Alabama football of I, League of Legends I, yeah, esports. I, when I when I was pitching our program, I told people I want to be the Duke basketball of esports. There you so, go. But I'll, I'll take I'll, I'll take Alabama football. I've heard that too. Yeah, whatever whatever dynasty you want to choose, as long as you're being yes. called a dynasty, I think that's good. <laughs> I'll even be the uh, New England Patriots if. Uh, Oh. It means we get to win a bunch. <laughs> Does that make you Belichick or Kraft? Probably more Kraft. But more, more like Kraft? Okay. <laughs> I'm not visiting any uh, Florida massage parlors. Okay, good, good. Good clarification for that. Yes, I just, just want to throw that up there. That's an important point. Um, so you've been in esports since, collegiate esports since 2016. How has it changed in three years? That's been such a big conversation about esports, just how rapidly things change. 
and just give me an idea of what it looked like, what collegi- the collegiate esports scene looked like when you first joined, and now what it looks like today. Well, I was actually talking to another university this morning about my experience, and uh, the thing that feels most different to me is when we started it, we, we sensed a tremendous amount of opportunity, but also risk. Like, this mm. could all blow up in our face, esports could die, this could be a huge, like, some scandal could happen with the program. That'd be a bad kind of reputational hit for the university. And so I think people forget that we took a, a giant leap. Um, and now it feels like a, a no brainer where traditional universities, everyone right now feels like they need to have an esports plan, right? Like mm-hmm. every athletic director and everyone out there is thinking about how do I do esports? That was not the case when we started. When we started, it was like, what are esports? It was E hyphen. Capital oh, no. S sports, <laughs> which I can't handle anymore. I can't um, do it either. And so, and so, yeah, I just feel like it went from something where I had to explain what esports were, explain why I thought it was important, to now uh, everyone's calling us and be like, "How do I do what you did?" And uh, I mean, there's no there's no easy roadmap, but that's just crazy that that's the world we live in now, where um, it's assumed that people want to be involved in esports and that was could not be farther from the truth in 2015 2016 yeah absolutely and i had my own personal experience because that was the exact time when i was taking hey this is what uci is doing to oregon and they're like so yeah have you seen our football program we're we're we're, we're doing fine i'm like guys this is important and now my university of oregon hearthstone team is at the espn collegiate esports championships i'm just proud proud of my alma mater for you should you should (laughs) go ducks Go Ducks. Yeah, and I was competing on the Hearthstone team too. Barely missed out on the Tespa qualifiers. The Okay. Yeah, the that was who is Tespa still running the events, right? They're just Yeah. Under yeah. the collegiate esports. Yeah. Blizzard collegiate branch or arm. Yeah, basically. Tespa, for people who are unfamiliar, I'm not even sure if they still go by this, but it used to stand for Texas Esports. Oh my god, I'm not even sure. T E <laughs> Association. Just association? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, the e the ESP is all for esports. I was trying. Yeah. I was like, what did the SP stand yeah. for? Okay, yeah. that makes sense. Yeah, now now they call themselves the Esports Association. It's no longer Texas. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, because they got bought out by Blizzard or partnered mm-hmm. with Blizzard in what 2014, 2013, a while back. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just an interesting how the collegiate scene has developed from me playing in my cramped dorm room with my two friends to now the UO gaming club is actually out there competing and we still have a far cry from the UCI arena and venue and coaches but it's cool to see it at least building up around the country yeah so that was actually every question I had for you I really appreciate you taking the time was there anything I didn't ask you about that you want to talk about the UCI program your mission what you guys have coming up, uh, plug the, the collegiate championships where you can watch. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, well, two things. One, one, uh, we always talk about our, our scholarship teams and the resource that go into those, but we, we do have a broad five pillar program. So on top of competing, which is our first pillar, uh, our second one is academics and research. So we partner with faculty and are essentially a lab for research that folks want to do around elite gamers, the general gaming community, uh, esports, um, and so there's a lot of research, cool stuff that's happening on campus, including uh, our second annual 
academic uh, esports conference in uh, October, October 11th to 12th, peer-reviewed academic research with a festival and community and industry lens as well. That's cool. Uh, third pillar is around community. I uh, didn't talk about our high school esports efforts, but uh, we run. Uh, we were one of the key partners for the North America Scholastic Esports Federation, uh, which is essentially connecting uh, education and learning to high schools and esports. Um, so that's a massive effort. I would encourage your listeners to check out. Um, mm-hmm. The fourth thing we do is entertainment. So shoutcasting, live play-by-play, color commentary for our matches, events, and programs in the arena. And fifth pillar is around careers. Tomorrow we have our second annual career networking night with industry professionals and our students. And so we're, we're trying to create opportunities for everyone around the esports ecosystem, not just the players and coaches, but anyone who wants to be in the industry, if you're a lawyer or podcaster, or whatever. So, so yeah. And then, then the uh, league of legends finals are next week. Our first match uh, will be against Columbia college around five or 6 PM on Friday. Uh, I think it'll be on twitch.tv slash riot games. And uh, if you're in Santa Monica, you should get a ticket and come hang out and watch it live. Yeah, hopefully I'm down in Southern California soon and I can come uh, attend some of these events live. Maybe we'll have to catch up. I can't believe I didn't ask you at all about NASIF, which is such an interesting organization. I've talked with some of the people behind that organization and you as well in previous articles for previous publications. But I guess that just means that I'll have to have you back on the podcast and we can... I think so. Talk about NASA. We could talk about hopefully a very successful League of Legends championship. Uh, your fourth, if it would be. Sorry, I'm not going to jinx it. I'll knock on wood right now. I'm, I'm not going to jinx anything. But uh, yeah, good luck in the tournament. Thank you for taking the time to join me on this podcast. Really enjoyed our conversation, and let's do it again soon. All right. Well, thanks for having me, and good luck with the show, and I'll talk to you soon. Thank you, Mark. Have a good one. That was Mark Deppi, the director of University of California, Irvine Esports. Again, one of the leading collegiate esports organizations, and I hope you enjoyed. We took that in a lot of different directions, focusing mainly around the collegiate esports scene. I love his unofficial title, Chief Gaming Officer, CGO. And right now, he is one of the leading voices in the collegiate esports scene. Uh, guys like him, uh, A.J. Dimmick at the University of Utah, Chris Haskell at Boise State University, some of the guys leading the West Coast. I'm more familiar with the West Coast scene being that I am based on the West Coast. So those are some of the leading guys out there. Mark's a great guy, and he's really you know, hit the collegiate esports scene at the right place. He found administrators who were on board. He delivered them a presentation they could understand. He got to be cost neutral, which is key to get administrative support and continued support so i hope you enjoyed that conversation i definitely want to have him back on soon probably after the tournament wraps up and hopefully uci is again knocking on wood celebrating their fourth league of legends championship which would just be absolutely incredible so that's all for this podcast i did promise a quick update on some other podcasts coming up had some scheduling concern or conflicts with the Team Vitality Architecture Studio, uh, creating a gaming facility in the heart of Paris, France. Um, we're going to get that scheduled. We're finding a time to do that next week now. So I know I've teased that multiple times, but that is still coming up. I'm really excited to talk about what's going into 
the latest and greatest esports facilities. And another topic we're doing, hopefully I'm bringing on a guest for this one, we're going to talk about loot boxes. This has become a big issue. It just got introduced to the U.S. Senate or House. It's in the U.S. government right now. A bill to ban loot boxes, call them gambling. And today the Overwatch League signed a partnership with Upper Deck, which is a trading card company. So I'm just going to be breaking that down. Hopefully going to bring on Terrell, if you remember him from the Echo Fox podcast. But just try and find a guest so we can have a nice discussion over loot boxes in esports, gambling in esports, this bill, uh, Belgium's already banned some stuff like that. Some of the EU countries have. Belgium's the one that comes to my mind. I can't remember. I know there's a couple other EU countries who have enacted legislation against loot boxes. So that'll be coming up later this week. We'll be breaking down that whole very complicated issue of gambling. Are loot boxes gambling? Are they any worse than opening trading card packs? That's my main argument. If I was five years old and opening trading card packs, I don't see how cosmetic loot boxes are anything more devastating. So we're going to ban trading cards now. No more baseball cards for kids. So that's one of my main points of topic. And that's why I want somebody else to have a have a long discussion about. So hopefully that's coming up later this week. HKS and Team Vitality. Oh, and Rainbow Six Esports. I'm talking to the uh, a VP in charge of Rainbow Six Esports tomorrow afternoon. And again, that'll be another one that comes up this week. If you're interested in learning about the game and it's become one of the rising stars in the esports world and we're going to talk about i know that's just talking about the game how it's raised and then the importance of grassroots efforts because rainbow six directed by ubisoft is not back to ubisoft's a huge developer of course but they aren't quite as well known for their esports scenes so we're going to be talking about how rainbow six has really used an old model of esports development, something like CSGO, where it takes time and it slowly builds and more organizations, how League of Legends was in the early days, uh, through community-based tournaments, and then the developer eventually gets in support and professionalizes it. And it's different than how, like, take the Overwatch League, for example, which started out and was just like, this is an esport, it is massive, it is big, it is important, and Rainbow Six really had that old-school development of community tournaments building it up building up the scene building up building up a fan base and they've just been on basically a constant ascension for the last two to three years so we'll be talking with him again later this week anyways appreciate y'all listening i hope you enjoyed the conversation with mark we'll plan to have him back on hopefully in a couple months he's working with the esports pro media training curriculum i've talked about that in a couple podcasts before But it is a media training curriculum designed to help professionalize uh, some of the stuff we were talking about, how they want to focus on careers. And this media training thing is ties into that. It helps you be a more effective communicator for players who are considering a pro path. It is important to know how to talk to the media and for players who aren't communication is just a crucial skill. So they are working with our CEO and our sister company that's the esports network and that's esports pro which is a media training curriculum coming out to colleges in the coming months and uci was one of the first people to help develop that and get on board and mark's been a huge support for that so we appreciate his help with that aspect of the esports network business and just admire what he's building over at uci really one of the leaders in this space 
That's all for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you for tuning in. Please remember to rate and subscribe. Really helps out our podcast. We're still getting going. Uh, But all those little clicks help us out a ton. Appreciate it.